Welcome to The Real Photo Show. My guest today is Jennifer Cabral, who is an artist and a library collection photographer at Princeton University, and that detail is relevant to our discussion today. Jennifer was also part of a show that Ryan Casey and I put together for the JKC Gallery called The Road Home, and we'll talk a little bit about that as well. And the reason why I mention that is because the work that was shown in the gallery is now work that has been expanded upon as a trilogy. But before we get to the episode, The Real Photo Show is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club, a monthly subscription service which offers some incredible photo books, and their new project, Charcoal Editions. Charcoal Editions enables collectors at all levels to access the beauty of the gelatin silver print. By providing open-ended editions and working with acclaimed printer Sergio Pertel to ensure customers of the highest possible quality photographic prints, while the purchase price reflects an equitable division of compensation between the gallery, the printer, and the artist. Visit Charcoal Editions at charcoaleditions.com and use the code REALPHOTOSHOW, all one word, at checkout for a 10% discount until the end of the year. So again, my guest today is Jennifer Cabral, and the work that Jennifer showed in the gallery is called Minera, and that work explored the destruction of parts of Jennifer's hometown in Brazil through industrial mining. It also explores the trauma that Jennifer suffered as a survivor of sexual abuse. And while we do mention sexual abuse, we do not mention any details of that abuse. Uh, And again, this work has continued now in a trilogy, and we talk about that trilogy uh, in the show. This is also the first episode to include a new bonus segment called Two Photos That Changed Me. So there's a link in the show notes uh, that will take you to the Real Photo Show YouTube channel in which Jennifer will describe two photos that were very impactful to her photographic life. So after you listen to this episode, please check out those videos and leave me some feedback uh, so I know if you like it or not. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show, and we will talk soon. Well, hi, Jennifer. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me. (laughs) And and it's nice to see you again, uh, because you were uh, so generous with sharing work for Ryan Casey and my uh, show at the JKC Gallery, uh, which was an incredible show, The Road Home. Yes. And uh, that was for me, it was The Road Home, really. It really was. It it was an incredible group of people. It was. And the connections, they keep happening we we really mm-hmm. kept in touch so it's really really beautiful thank you yeah yeah and and so uh we had we had these lovely group discussions after on uh for the youtube channel for the jkc gallery uh back during the show and uh, i always wanted to bring you back for the the podcast because y- your work is so interesting very intense and uh <laughs> and uh, you know the the way you speak about it was was great so But before we get to uh, some of that work that was in the show and some newer work, why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, where you're from, how you got into photography and art and and also what you're doing now, which is really interesting. Right. So um, my name is Jennifer Cabral. I was born in Sao Paulo in Brazil and I was raised in Minas Gerais, is an area of Brazil that is where all the gold came from uh, in the 1500s. And mining culture is our bread and butter. <laughs> hmm. And um, I had a very traditional upbringing in Belo Horizonte, the capital of the state. Uh, it's a very traditional, very Catholic very, you know, related to family and roots, tradition. Mm. Like, you know, I had no contact with art growing up as a kid. Like, I did some, you know, collages or little things at school, but I did not have any love drawing or love painting, nothing like that. Never thought I would do anything related to art. Never had any ambitions or, you know, taste of it little when I was little. But... Uh, in high school, I had a amazing art history teacher, mm. and that's when I first like got connected. To, I, it was really architecture. It was the history of Greek and Rome, 
you know, columns and sculptures. And I was like, I want to do architecture. So and in Brazil, you have a very hard test to go get into university that you have to go through. And I did it in the before I graduated as a test to see if I would get in. And I got into the architecture school, but I couldn't go because I was still finishing high school. And then when it came the time that I had to do the official test, I didn't pass. Oh, no. So I didn't go to ar architecture school. Oh, no. So I had to wait and retake the test to go into whatever other school I wanted. So in this period, I decided to go into this art school that you know, a friend of uh, my dad's had a daughter that was going there. She says, like, she really likes it. Maybe we're going to like to go to the school and then you're going to, of course, take the test and have a real profession because art is not a profession. <laughs> and you will now go to the social communication advertising school as my profession. Mm -hmm. So I went to the art school test and everybody was already preparing for this test for months or years. They have been drawing and painting and, and I never did anything related to art. And I had like a children's pencil with like cartoons on it as my pencil. <laughs> and everybody oh, wow. had all the special, you know. <laughs> oh, all the tools. All right. the tools. And I was like, oh, <laughs> this is going to go well. <laughs> uh, long and behold, I got in. <laughs> wow. And I fell in love. It was a tiny school. Uh, under, it was in the basement of, um, of where the opera and the orchestra of the state practices. And mm. it was created by an artist. That, and it was a very unconventional art school. And the school was continued by their, his students. So the teachers were only artists, that, practicing artists that were taught by the original artist. And it was a very small, incredible space to be in. I was totally interested in printing. There was no photo lab back there. There's no cameras. There's nothing. Uh, it's really like... And another thing, we learned art through books. We didn't mm. have any huge galleries and museums to visit or nothing like that. Sometimes black and white, you no know, photos of paintings. That was mm -hmm. it, you know. Uh, it was mm. a very limited access to things. No, I'm talking about 1990s, mm. right? Uh, there's no internet, yeah. there's nothing. Now it's very different. Belo Horizonte has become a, a, a harbor of many fest art festivals and photography festivals. And it really expanded. Uh, it's a very cosmopolitan place now that back then wasn't. What was your, your parents' reaction to you wanting to do art? What, and what did they do? My dad is an engineer. My mom mm. was a secretary and nothing, you know related to yeah. pol politics or engaged cultural discussions are very, my mom is very, you know, religious and I, I didn't have a, you know, ha reference to Right, but were they, were they worried <laughs> that you were going into art? No, my dad was very always like, you like this, so keep going. He never oh, nice. blocked me. He really was very supportive of me and I hope parents remember that like just <laughs> support your kids whatever they love at the end is what will matter <laughs> because it'll be hard no matter what but if at right. least you have what you like and you love and what you believe you can do it you know yeah good um, advice. <laughs> but uh so the school expanded when i was going there and it was moved to a, a beautiful new building designed for an art school and they created a photo lab and we had photography classes for the first time. And that's, it started happening in the art school. But meanwhile, mm. in the art, in the advertising school, that's where I first really got a camera in my hands. And they assigned a, a project, silly project for school saying, Oh, create a campaign, uh, take some photos, create text, and you, you work as a group. Everybody had internships and I didn't. And they said, you know what? You're not working. We are. You're going to take the camera and do something with it. <laughs> so I took a camera with a roll of film, black and white film, took it home. And that was it. I was hooked. Never mm. stopped. 
that's how it started. And uh, then I started doing both schools, photography in the advertising school and photography right. in the art school. And eventually I left both schools and I was working in graphic design. That was my other passion, books and... Was, was it more commercial work then? Yeah, I was an yeah. assistant to a small, no, graphic mm -hmm. arts place. And at some yeah. point I was like, you know what? I really like that photography thing. If I don't stop it now, I was working yeah. in it for like four or five years then in graphic arts. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was like, I'm going to go and take a class for six months in New York. That's when you come to New York and, and go that's to the when School I of go Visual to Arts. This, yes. Right. And right. I, I only I, did isolated classes. I didn't do the whole program. I couldn't afford it. The continuing it. ed program. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I took color printing and some documentary class and photojournalism class, some mm. event photography classes. But the irony is it was September 11th, right? So I, my first class was on September 10th. I left the school at around... 10, 11 at night. It was my first day in town. Um, I've been to New York before, uh, but visiting, but for the, now in 2001, it was my first mm. time. So at night, I, the only thing I knew was the towers. So at oh, wow. 11 at night, I'm walking down towards the, the World Trade to get, um, to find the closest subway to go get back to New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And next day, I, was still getting around. I had a bike. I didn't have a car. I had to get the trip bus, the, the train, and then the subway. And I Where never, were you in New Jersey? I, yeah. I was in, in, my, in Mercer County. My sister oh, was living so, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a hike, you know. It's like, you know, yeah. it ended up being like two, three hours to get to the school. But no. Right. So you were leaving early. Yes, trying to. Yeah. And I mm -hmm. saw the last train go into the city. And then everything mm. started. Right. But it was such a special place to be in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, as painful as it was, the care for each other. Now all the students right. now walked together to the subway. Nobody was left alone. Every, everywhere mm -hmm. you had people offering water or do you need anything? Or It was really you know, a unique time to be there. Yes. It, it absolutely was. Yeah, I was uh, working in the Lower East Side at the time. Yeah. And uh, and it was. I think um, it, it's referred to as September, September 12th. 12th. Is, is a day that, you know, people just came together. Right. Yeah. And um, after you finish the School of Visual Arts, um, well, I guess also, what are you doing for a living? <laughs> right. So. You know, what were you doing for, for, a li for money? Oh, my God. Anything and everything you can imagine <laughs> related to photography. No, that, in my mind, that was the line. Yeah. I was like, I do anything, yeah. but it has to be related to photography. So I was working That's multiple exactly what I did. Yeah. photo la mini labs, every yep. mall, uh, portrait. Christmas time was hell. I couldn't stand Christmas songs. I hope my students are listening. Yes. <laughs> I, I did it all. Uh, and then I eventually, the mini lab I was working at closed, but my boss was so kind that he was opening a digital business online for photography. It was kind of like mm -hmm. one of the first companies online to process photos. And uh, he's like, do you want to do customer service for me? I was like, sure. So I did that for a little bit. And then I worked for a local no, photo lab. And in that lab, I was hired to print. I was printing black and white eight, ten hours a day. So I was there. They had a contract at the time with New York Times and Condé Nast to do all the printing for their online stores. So all the copy, it were old copy negatives, right. bad shape. And it was me and another uh, lab technician working nonstop. Uh, but I miss the the smell of all the chemicals. <laughs> I miss my red oh, room. A hundred percent. I um for most of my uh, photo life, I took care of the color printing machines in two different colleges uh, at SVA and then Columbia. And then in between those two, I did um color printing for a place in New York City that's long out of business. Uh, commercial color printing uh, place that that did. 
everything from magazine editorial work to um, the uh, hair color boxes, you know, the, the I- images for hair color. Right. And and no, uh, it I, the hours were terrible. It was it was till like four in the morning, mm-hmm. but uh, but I do I miss I miss the smell of those color machines. Oh yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and talking so you know the SVA space well. Well, I was there. I was there late eighties. I graduated nineteen ninety. Okay. So I I used to uh, work in what was then called the cage, the equipment room. And uh, I uh, I took care of the machines, the oh, color machines. Wow! <laughs> I, I remember my first time walking at SVA, seeing all the color enlargers. It was like, oh mm-hmm. my god! Like it was <laughs> like heaven. I couldn't believe. Um, now we had yep. my school in Brazil. We had one black and white enlarger and one color enlarger, and oh, that was yeah. it. <laughs> you know, uh, so it was mind blowing to walk into that kind of structure. And then let me say, let me say that from the little mini labs and all that stuff, customer service and did wedding photography, portrait, family portraits, everything, whatever I could, you know, make a living out of it. But I was also from 2001 to 2006. I was a a freelancer for uh, the Princeton Packet group of newspapers. Oh, right. And that time, I was paying to photograph. I, I At the end, by the time I, it was all film, and by the time I processed, paid the gas to get to the mm. places, <laughs> I, I, I could, I was making, making money. <laughs> and, and, no. and also, 2008, right, like the... The financial crisis definitely had an impact, immense impact in, on newspapers and and the, the press environment for photographers. They were not hiring. They were cutting staff. Even the long-term you know, f- photojournalists were not being, the contracts were being cut, let alone me as a stringer. So I was trying mm-hmm. to make into an environment that was cutting people out. Right. And... I, I had to you know, try to find something else. And that was when I found the, this position. Now, a friend of mine said, I found a, a job. I, I, I was looking for a job and I found something that will get, drive me crazy, but I think you're going to love it. <laughs> you're going to photograph a book page by page all day long. I was like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> and long and behold, I love what I do. It's well, uh, not... Not all that different from the, the the archives of the New York Times, right? Exactly. It's just, <laughs> you know, I'm still generating right. images of an archive, you know. Yeah, <laughs> not much different. Right, right. And so that's at Prin- the Princeton Library? Yeah, Princeton University Library. University Library. Right, right. And you're still working there, yes? Yes, yes. Yeah. I am a part of a group of 10 photographers. We are, work wow. full-time. And um, it's a huge, it's a huge field. I have to say, for those who are looking for, you know, a field that they want some stability, it's really the demand is so immense. Um, uh-huh. And I feel grateful that I can use all my skills as a photographer on a daily basis. You know, right. I am also lucky. You you have all kinds of institutions doing this now from small local libraries that have no funding to big institutions like Princeton. I am lucky enough to be in an Ivy League institution that has, no, I'm working with phase one cameras, (laughs) 150 megapixels, like the top of everything. So do you get to use those for your own purposes? (laughs) No way. Or should we not say that out loud? <laughs> no way, uh, and it's no, it's it's really, and it's like a lab. I feel like I'm in a lab all day long because it's, the cameras are on stands. No, it's the full whole oh, darkroom yeah. feeling, you know. Right, right, but set up more like copy stands. Yes. Yeah. Outside that, it, of the the repetitiveness of it and all, do you find a connection to some of the work you're doing now? Absolutely. It, yeah. So it, I want to come back to that because I, when I, when I read what you were doing and I was looking at your work and, you know, that, that initial sort of exposure to architecture and interest in architecture. And I, I think it all comes together in this work you're doing now. Thank you. Yes. I feel the same. <laughs> yeah. So um, why don't we 
we switch gears a little bit then and, and, and talk about this this uh, trilogy of work that you're doing. And that's the way I see it. I don't actually know if you do. Yeah, it ended up becoming this trilogy. I didn't even know it would be one. Um, uh-huh. Well, it's, it, it starts with which project? And I, I'll let you say the names of each one. <laughs> sure. So, so I don't start botch it. From the beginning. <laughs> the first one is called Mineira. And that's the title of someone that comes from the state where I am. Like a New Yorker from Minas Gerais, you are Mineira. So mm. I call it Mineira, but I. When I typed, I put mm-hmm. a hyphen in that word. So and it looks like two words. Two words. And right. it's the first one is mine, which refers to mining. And mm-hmm. the last one is ira, which is rage, I-R-A in Portuguese, in Spanish. This word came to be in 2019 when there was a horrible environmental crime that a telling dam uh, in Minas Gerais, in Brumadinho, broke. It killed about 270 people. Mm. And the devastation in the area uh, with the chemicals of these telling dams just spilling all over the place was a wake-up call that was overdue because not too long before, in 2015, an even bigger accident had happened. So... The first ex- accident happened in 2015 and then kind of went away. It's a, it's a, oh, it never happened. Like people continue to live their lives. But the 2019 happened and it was like, wait, wait a second, this already happened. And how many times is it going to repeat? Mm-hmm. And at the time, I felt so isolated, so homesick and, mm. and of not being able to be there. Should not be able to document this a feeling disaster. Of helplessness. Yes, yeah. and at the same time, I need I needed to say something. I, I wanted to say something about it, and it was really a, a self analysis, a self evaluation of my values in relation to the culture that I come from. So I look, started looking at my photographs, and I found all these traditional activities of a kid in my town. We go to carnival, we go to have a red bike and go to the soccer stadium and drive around and, and ride, you know, ride your bike around the stadium. And there's a, a June festival that you have fireworks. And I all these photographs of my childhood, it was like, this is a typical, you know, stereotypical upbringing of a kid in Minas Gerais. In, in my town, in the, have to say, in the privilege of the society that I lived. You know, with right, a typical right. middle class, uh, higher middle class you know, environment. And I wanted to talk about the main symbol of my town, which is the Serra do Curral del Reis, this mountain ridge that kind of is always there around us. And it's a very soothing image is the official symbol of the town and kind of corrals us, you know, and protects us. But on the other side is a mine, and on the other side there's nothing. The the mountain is a shell. Mm. And I remember when I was growing up, like when I was like 15, 16, I started to hear, but do you know that behind there's nothing? I was like, that's not true. How can that be true? The mountain is right there. But on the mm. other side, it was all gone. It is all gone. Mind the way. So, so it becomes almost like a, a Disney facade of a place. It is. It's a billboard. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it, 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 right. we, we'll need some, at some points, now some sticks to hold it up or something because the way it's going. And unfortunately, it's an ongoing struggle. The new government that just took over is totally pro-mining. They are con- approved to continue excavating that region, even though it is threatening the water mm. quality of you know, a huge uh, part of the state uh, and the capital of the, the state. Just so you to have an idea, around 1992, UNESCO voted my town, Belo Horizonte, as one of the best to live in because it's a mm. combination of factors like water quality, air quality, education, safety, etc. Like, you know, so that is, I, I'm afraid, is no longer. 
you know, because the environment is really being, you know, completely decimated. Decimated. Yeah. And so I decided to just, I wanted to have the image of this mountain that I loved. And I tried to remember where it was positioned in my memories. When I was facing this place, sitting in that carnival so the, place, where's the give, mountain? Uh-huh. Uh, people an idea of what we're talking about. The photographs are family snapshot photos or photographs of you. Mm-hmm. They're a color. You've done this in, in early work, but you're playing with uh, turning them. Uh, part of them are in positive, part of them are in negative. And it's the ridge line of the mountain that tends to separate the positive from the negative. I have that right? That is right. Yes. And it's not so evident that that's the ridge line of the mountain at first. It's it just it's just this sort of curvy line that that intersects the photo. And it is carefully placed. It's carefully positioned. And I think that's where the other part of mine comes into play in this work. True. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. So at, in 2019 was the time of the accident, but I was also grappling with memories of my own struggle with uh, childhood abuse. And I wanted to talk, to, all I wanted to, to do in that work was to talk about the mind and my memory of where the mind was behind the mountain ridge in my memory. So the, it was just about those three things, me, the mountain, and the mind that was behind it, destroying it. But the, as soon as I put these three layers on Photoshop, it was all done on Photoshop, the, the mind fell on my body. And I, at that moment, I knew that I was talking about much something else as well. And it was about the desecration, the continued abuse of not only a mountain, but of myself. And something that I uh, really just, as an adult, I'm trying to face. Right. And it, it's about then the other use of the word mine is about possession, about body, about ownership. Exactly. To reclaim my body as right. mine and hopefully do that also speaking for earth as mm-hmm. as well i hope not only as not mine as something that is being taken now i have this earth right. i have this mountain i have this mine but that the earth can say you know that this is also sacred body right a sacred and- body and that runs through this trilogy, the idea of a body of land, a body of water, and your body, and the idea of the way we treat, the way we think about, the way we think of ownership of all of those bodies, right? Absolutely. I, when I, I'm going to talk about the heal mine one uh, now, mm-hmm. which is one that yes. I... I, I used maps of Brazil that were part of the Library of Congress archive. Uh, and, and this domain. is where I sell, really see that connection to, to the work you do, photographing the newspapers, photographing the books. Right. Yeah. So I'm working to create an archive to make it public and accessible. But it's an archive that has been created over decades and centuries uh, and I'm not speaking this specifically to the archive that I'm documenting. Anybody in this field that is doing this now, digitization of archives, are just reproducing something that was already there. And these maps have been part of the Library of Congress for centuries or decades. I don't know exactly when they acquired, but the maps go back to 1631, mm. I think, the first one. And in that, on that map, it clearly lists the river on my state that um, was devastated in 2015 by okay. one of the mines that the tel- telling dam that broke. And it's humongous amount of cubic feet of highly contaminated, you know, waters. And in 2000 and 15, it was something like 40, over 43 million cubic feet of chemicals that were thrown oh. on, this, on this river. Mm-hmm. And the water basin of this river is as big as Austria. Like, it's a huge area. 
And uh, most of the, the river is on my state. It goes into a second state going to, towards the ocean. But 80% of it is on my state. When they talked on the radio and I heard of, at first the accident in 2015, it's all the towns of my memories of my friends where they lived or all so many municipalities that were affected by this. And it was like, wow, everything that I know is may disappear, is is disappearing. So the 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 Rio Mine project, I wanted to understand how these archives are created. I was also asking that question, not only how did the river end up in the Library of Congress, the Rio Doce that I'm, that was destroyed in 2015 was sitting in a map room in the Library of Con- Congress, and why, you know? Mm-hmm. It's funny, working inside an archive made me really bring this concern about what am I reproducing? Why am I reproducing? How is it going to be used? Who is going to see this? What stories are going to be perpetrated by the archive because of my actions? Of course, I'm not in a position, I'm not the one that selects what's going to be photographed and I don't curate exhibitions or you know, collections, mm-hmm. but I hope those that are above me are, are making the, those questions. Well, are these maps the result of colonial exploration, invasion, settlements. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, right? They have to be. It's all because that's a major uh, place where the gold came from. Mm -hmm. All the mines, no, were most of the the main mines were there in Minas Gerais, in my state, and the river was a way to access it. So Rio Doce, it was a main vein, not only of gold, of the river, uh, that was always there. And it was shocking to see, my God, I was looking for maps of Brazil or Minas, but then the river, the specific river that I wanted to talk about was there. No, when I, my works are always a surprise to me. Like, just like when I placed the word mine on my photograph, I did not expect to fall on my body, and it did. It's almost, and the same thing with the, the maps, when I started to look for the maps, I never expected to find that specific river that way. But then you trace it backwards from destruction to being mapped, and then it, it all makes sense, doesn't it? Why it's on that map. Right. Yeah. And, and also, I wanted to talk about this devastation. It took 15 hours approximately to go all the way to the mouth of the river to travel these 600 kilometers mm-hmm. to get to the ocean. But it was inevitable to see a parallel of the industry of mining and the destruction of that river. And that's when the, the politics and the economic international interests come into this work. So the, the work is basically just my, uh, uh, maps of Brazil, of the central region of Minas Gerais that I'm talking about. And I included ticker tape of the stock market uh, with a ticker tape symbol of a specific company typed over and over. And it's a parallel. I put the, the river and the ticker tape. It's almost running like a graph side by side. Mm, mm-hmm. And it starts from the mouth of the river as a clean water river. But at some point, the ticker tape st- starts. And that's when the destruction of the river starts. And to, oh, okay. And to represent that destruction, I scanned my own body, uh, a scar that I had after a diagnosis of breast cancer. And the scar, it looks like a river. It looks like the tributaries. Yeah, some kind of ravine or canyon. Right. So yeah. I, I use that to layer the maps and the scar and mm-hmm. the parallel of the ticker tape to represent this destruction that started to happen. And, uh, and you colorize that or tone that that image of the scar to overlay on the map 
so that it almost looks like a you know how uh, maps that have sort of like uh, little uh, blow up sections. So there's the there's the map, and then over in the corner will be this this uh, magnified section of the map. That, so it it reads that way. It's true. Thank you <laughs> for yeah. pointing that out. The Rio ticker tape. It it almost looks like there's some like a, a geolocation scroll happening <laughs> around the map, right? It, it's as if coordinates are coming up, and and it's it's poignant because because it is market stock market tape that. It's kind of frightening. It's like the more it gets destroyed, the more valuable the stock is, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And in the irony that the company that managed these dams that broke, uh, it's, it's called Vale do Rio Doce. That's the name of the company. Compania Vale do Rio Doce. How does that translate? Uh, it's company of the river basin of mm. The, the Dossi Rio Basin, company mm -hmm. of the Rio Dossi Basin. And the irony is that they ch chose Rio, Rio, as the ticker tape symbol for the company. Mm. So it's traded as a river. The wow. mine is traded as a river in the stock market. Mm. And uh, I couldn't not use that. It's like such a, a symbol of itself, like selling right. a river. And I, I really try to research a lot about the history of the company, the history of the stock market. And at some point, it was almost overwhelming. I had like stacks and blocks of post-it notes. And, mm. and I was like, how am I going to talk about this? And at some point, I had to let go of all the numbers and all the technicalities of it, of all the market and politics of it as well because that was the problem that created mm -hmm. the destruction of the river was when that those resources became a commodity a commodity yes numbers mm -hmm. and i i at some point i had just to let go of uh knowing all the numbers and just think about how it feels and and of course i have to say i don't know how it feels to lose a river because I don't live off that river. There, there mm -hmm. are populations that do, and I, I can't imagine. I experienced that, that river for hours of my life. I can't imagine having lived by a river for hundreds, thousands of years, as some population, the yeah. native populations yeah. have, and lose that source mm -hmm. of everything that they know, every, every process of their lives, every right. birth, every death, Food, water, everything right. comes from that river. And right, uh, we might be um, a bit separated from actually thinking of the the river as a sustaining our lives, but we are affected by the aftermath. We're all affected by the aftermath. I live between the Hackensack River and the Passaic River, two of the most polluted rivers in the country, and I have I have walked along those rivers and and you know, seeing this weird colored foam, you know, come up on the shores, uh, have gotten stuck in muck that, you know, won't come off my boots. So yes, uh, we are distant from people who actually lived off the river, but we are affected by pollution and toxicity. Um, and and, us, and yeah. that's why my, my work more and more, I can't separate my body from the mm -hmm. body of the earth. I it, it became something uh, very, very clear to me that mm -hmm. the same care and sacredness that I feel towards my body, that the earth d deserves just the same. Before I forget, you also started more of a, a social media campaign called Hashtag Rio Shares. Right. So it, I know you just said you, you had to give up on trying to follow all the numbers and everything. But then what you ended up doing is trying to create a, a space to remember what this river was as a way of reminding people what it is now, right? Exactly. I try, I, I fail. I, I, I try to engage hey. people and say, it's here, tough. try, Yes. you know, can you show me some photos, share? And it's, mm -hmm. But I do try. And all my latest works, somehow I try to engage others and say, if you want to be part of this, no, here it is, try this. 
try this hashtag, and uh, I have a couple. <laughs> we we are not people with a lot of power. <laughs> yes, exactly. We need help. We need to work together. We yes, can't. That's right. <laughs> and uh, so he shares with such an irony. It, it, it's one of those things that I was like, "What hashtag am I going to use?" And mm-hmm. uh, you know, I put in Rio shares and on Google. And long and behold, to see if there was a hashtag. Right. And right. long and behold, what comes up is the stock market value uh-huh. of the one of the main producers of iron ore in the world. So, wow. about the iron ore conglomerate, there are three main players. Number one is Vale Compania Vale do Rio Doce. Now it's called Vale. BHP Billington. And Rio Tinto. Those are the three. That sounds British, that middle one. <laughs> yes. So the three top ones. And they just like kind of play a circle, like uh, uh, music chairs. They just mm. ch- change companies, buy one here, sell one there. And they are always on top. It's mm-hmm. only this group. And again, please, if you want to learn more about this, look the work for, of Julia Ponte. She's a brilliant researcher and photographer and activist. And uh, she does incredible work uh, about the history of the mining or no. She has work online? Yes, definitely. Okay, so we'll link to that in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. And you have one more uh, part of this trilogy, Minerio. I said it right. You did. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and, And like I said earlier, and this is done differently. Again, these are photographs of yours that were not necessarily taken with uh, this project in mind, but now you're revisiting your own archives now and making these connections, right? True. So this trilogy has the family archive, it mm-hmm. has an institutional archive, and then it has my own archive as a photographer. And so this part of Minério is a little bit about this change of names so mine is was i crossed the, the word mine and leave the rio right. because it represents the time when this mining company crossed the rio sticker tape symbol and removed it from its name and became valley only as v-a-l-e as the symbol the ticker takes tape symbol, the name of the company, and the river basically disappears of the name of the company. So, because basically, eventually, it would basically make the river disappear. Of course, the river is there, people are trying to clean it, but the politics of it is sickening. It's not fast enough, it's not enough work that is being put in, the people are not being restituted. It has been seven years, this this year has been it's their anniversary of seven years of the disaster, and the river is there mm-hmm. trying to to find its own healing as it can, basically. But the Minerio part of the work was to cross the mine off the map and try to remember that behind the mine is always a river. And this river was a place that I used to visit over the years. And it's by a river bank, uh, the Rio San Juan, the San Juan River Basin. And unfortunately, it's one of the many rivers that are threatened to be destroyed by telling dams. Just for you to have an idea, this is, these numbers vary a little bit, but there are 32 dams that are in poor condition that can break at any point in my state. Of those, mm. 26 are owned by this company, Valley, mm-hmm. the Rio Doce. And, and this river is one of the, the regions that might be affected. So when I looked back at my photographs, I found all these uh, images of the river as it, no, as I remember, as, I, as it was. And I hope that it, it can still be, but we don't know for how long. And th- these are more uh, kind of intimate landscape portraits, black and white photos. Yeah. I say intimate because there's a real um, affection for the place in the photographs. They're, they're made very lovingly, right? They're, 
you're looking at the details of the water, details of the the, the flora, and the and, and even some people in these photos as well. True. There's a, a kind of romance with the landscape in these there, photos. There is, and I almost wanted to create. When I was photographing, I was trying to capture the feeling of being there. That's what mm. I was trying to to do because there's a smell up to the river in the early morning. Uh, being that fog, you know, seeing the the nature that is still there. And believe me, this is around 2000s. The river was much more pristine back mm. in the day. Even when I was going there, the population, you know, there was a family that lived by the river and there were three kids and they took me to visit, walk around and see the places that they liked. And I thought they were going to take me to the river. And they didn't. Uh, mm. And I said, why didn't you take me to the river? They said, oh, it's polluted. We don't, we can't fish anymore. Uh. And this was before any accidents, before anything. So they knew, mm. they knew of a time that that place was pristine. And even when mm -hmm. I was going, was it was already not the same. But still, I, I, the soul of the place was still there. The soul of the <laughs> river was huh. still there. Yeah. Uh, it's just devastating to to see those changes in your own lifetime. It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And now it's 20 years that I've been away from Brazil and from Minas Gerais and being far away and thinking, oh, that can, that can be gone in mm -hmm. any, at any point. It's really a, a awakening moment that it, I could not, not be silent and not do anything about it. So I think right. that's why my focus became so much related to that. This trilogy came from this necessity to say something. How do you see now, and you're still working on the these bodies of work, I know, but at least the, the more recent one, how do you see them now being presented? Where do you, how would you like this work to be received? So I was very concerned when I created Mineira, the first one of my mm -hmm. childhood and the mountain. And I didn't ha have any idea how it would be received. And it, it, it really you know, resonated with many, many people in many places. And I have first-hand experience with that because it was at the JKC Gallery and we had talks and people visiting the work very much. There were It was... Heartbreaking heart and heartwarming. Uh, how many people connected with that work? Yes. Exactly. Yes. And I had a chance to now places like in St. Petersburg or Italy and publications in Germany. Like it was online, it was during COVID, right? That this work started mm -hmm. spreading. And then I was like, but I don't know how people from my town will feel because this is like, I use the symbol of the town. I'm talking about yes. against the mining companies, which right. is this, how do you talk about something that everybody is connected to? My father was in the mining industry. My cousins are in the mining industry. Uh, the fa the funding of all the schools, including the, the beautiful one that had the, the dark room with two enlargers, the black and white and the color one, they mm -hmm. were, no, they, they had helped fund that construction. So, right. There are and, layers and, and layers. Graphically speaking, the work is not subtle. The word mine is right across your pelvis exactly. as a, as a child. Uh, it, it's quite jarring. Yes. And long and behold, like, no, it was part of a very important festival in my state. The Festival de Tiradentes, a very uh, known local uh, photo festival uh, in Brazil. This was in April. March, I wasn't at the gallery. In April, I was at the the festival, and mm. it was very well received. Um, okay. So it's really you know to resonate because one thing is for you to talk about something. Foreign More abstract, place, third yes, party kind a distance. Of, right, right. Yes, yes. But talking yeah. about it there, it, it felt mm. no. I felt very. I didn't know how it would be received. Exposed, vulnerable. Exposed, of course. And the story, yeah. the story I was telling, is a story that I, I didn't even tell myself alone. No, right. Let alone to others. Um, let alone to my family and many friends. Like nobody knew. And many, many only knew about the story this way. So, mm -hmm. well, it was 
it was incredible when I first saw it at the JKC Gallery. It was very moving. And like I said, it was uh, it was quite a moment when uh, others started talking about the work as well and their own experiences. That was quite a moment. So thank you for, for sharing that. And thank you for, for being on the show oh, again. <laughs> please, this is... You know, I, I walked into JKC Gallery... Uh, when I was doing a show at Artworks, which was not too far from That's right. JKC, That's right. and I walked into Ryan Case's exhibition, yes. The Memory and the Mark. Is that the Mark the, and the Memory. The Mark yes. and the Memory, for, forgive me. And no, right. <laughs> it was such a beautiful show. Mm -hmm. For those who didn't watch the discussions of that show, please do go online on YouTube mm -hmm. because they were also incredible, just like The Road Home those yes. discussions are really precious. Mm -hmm. And um, and I walked in there and I was like, my God, I, I didn't know of JKC Gallery until that moment. And so a year later, there I was in the show. Yes. And now <laughs> I am in your podcast. I can't even say how starstruck I am oh, through this please. whole plot process. And I'm this so grateful. My <laughs> privilege, my honor. Um, and and unfortunately, the, the gallery is, is closed now. Uh, but... It was a great six years, and you were a part of that great six oh, years. So, yeah. Thank you. And yes. I, I hope you know the effect that you had, the impact that you have in this community, and the connections that you established. And it, it will stay, you know, even if that space is not currently there. Uh, well, thank you. Really, uh, it's really nice you. to hear because it's not always clear and when you're there. And it's, <laughs> and it's not easy to close a place that you committed so much. Oh, but no. It wasn't easy at all. It was not easy because I was there when there was there was no sheetrock on the walls uh, helping design it. Yes, not easy, but you know, um, for for lots of reasons, <laughs> I needed mm -hmm. to to do other things too. Yeah. I I get it, but yeah. thank thank you. And this is one of them, so I keep connected <laughs> this way. Yes. Absolutely, and and your hundreds of podcasts. Oh, each one is more <laughs> precious than the next. Well, oh well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, this this has been lovely, and uh, yeah, and we'll see each other down uh, down at some Trenton shows. I'm sure. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thanks again. Thank you, Michael. Bye. <laughs> Real Photo Show is produced by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton. Music by Matteo Chauvin Dalton. You can find bonus content from the show on our YouTube channel. Just search for Real Photo Show. The podcast can be found on all your favorite podcast players. And please rate the show with all the stars available on your preferred player. 